because that diaphragm and pelvic floor work together so synchronously, you know, any change in pressure when you're not stacked up creates increased tension on the pelvic floor. Having a pelvic floor that's overworking can be just as frustrating as a pelvic floor that's underworking. And so just breathing correctly and stacking the ribs and the pelvis can make a huge difference on preventing incontinence down the road. This is Pros Talk Pregnancy, the no BS show that's not afraid to get real about all things pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and beyond. I'm talking with visionaries and game changers who are challenging the status quo and changing the world one pregnancy and one birth at a time. I'm Lindsay McCoy, mama four, lover of the mountains, seeker of knowledge, exercise physiologist, birth doula, and childbirth educator. Basically, I'm an all-around pregnancy and birth nerd. My passion is making pregnancy, childbirth, and recovery better and empowering professionals and families alike. Are you ready? Let's go. Hello and welcome to the podcast. So here's the deal. There's nothing wrong with being bendy or flexible, but I think sometimes people think that the more flexible or the more bendy I am, the easier my birth is going to be. And that is in fact not the case necessarily. And there's actually some issues that can arise when someone is in fact hypermobile. So today I am going to be joined by physical therapist Monica Patel and we are going to be chatting all things hypermobility. So what's the difference between being just really flexible and being hypermobile? And what are some issues that can arise with our hypermobile clients and what can we do about it? So if you are working with clients, you're going to probably run into someone with this issue. And it's really important that we address how to work with our clients so that they can have the most success, minimizing pain, having a more efficient birth and having a smoother recovery. So without further ado, here's the episode. Monica Patel graduated with her doctorate in physical therapy from the University of Tennessee in Chattanooga in 2016. She went on to get additional years of training in orthopedics and pelvic health through the Institute of Advanced Manual Therapy and is now working on her certificate of obstetrics through the American Physical Therapy Association. She currently is the lead therapist in a direct primary care doctor's office in Chattanooga and works primarily with parents, both pre and postpartum. Professionally, she thrives off helping people address and prevent neuromuscular challenges and live their most functional lives. Hands in the air emoji. <laughs> that was me, not her bio. Uh, she started Train for Birth, a virtual education and coaching program for expecting parents to make access to care affordable and accessible. She is the mother of a delightful three-year-old son, loves to be outdoors, attempting random art projects, and is passionate about improving access to greenways. Okay, wait, before we move on, tell me about greenways. Are you meaning like green space? Right, like river walks and um, Love it. low transit. Yeah, I mean, we all need space to greenery. Like I was just talking with my partner the other day about like, there's places like the concrete jungle, like I think NYC, like more green space, right? Yes. Yes. Which is very urban. And now living in Chattanooga, which is full of so many beautiful biodiverse resources. um, I feel like I'm in heaven now. And I realized how nature 
starved I was. And, um, you know, it just from a health perspective and from a social perspective, being able to bike somewhere with friends um, and access different parts of, you know, the parks as well as restaurants and everything. It's just such a good symbiosis to have for, you know, the economy, for health, for uh, so mental yes. health. So can- yeah, advocating for a, a new um, like river walk extension here in Chattanooga. And I started- love that. That's so cool. Yeah. That's that's just like, I love multi-passionate people. That's super fun. So, but today we're not talking about greenways. All the greenways are super cool. We're talking about hypermobility. So, but first, before that, I want to know how did you get to be where you are today? How did you become so passionate and focused on perinatal health? Okay. Okay. Well, I guess it was kind of a, a combination after I of personal experience and professional. Um, when I graduated PT school, my boss asked me twice if I would want to specialize in pelvic health. And I at first said, no, you know, I just finished this orthopedic year long intensive study. Like I don't want to narrow myself down too soon. Um, so let me hold off. And then once the ask came around a fourth time, I, (laughs) I agreed and um, decided, you know, more education is great. And then the more I got to learn about the whole pelvic health and how it really benefits all populations, I got more and more and more enthusiastic about it. And then um, I guess I started seeing about a 50-50 caseload of pelvic health and orthopedics and really got to know a lot of mothers, uh, both pre and postpartum during my own pregnancy. Mm -hmm. And that was... Uh, enlightening in so many ways, just especially though in working with the moms postpartum who were so sleep deprived and struggling to find childcare to come into physical therapy appointments consistently. And for a lot of uh, lower income families, you know, there's limitations on how many visits you can see through physical therapy. Um, and transportation was an issue. And it just would break my heart to see these moms um, who really, really were benefiting and were getting something out of the healing process. And yet all of a sudden their access to it got cut off. Um, And that, so that just really, really broke my heart. And then uh, throughout my own pregnancy experience, I did, uh, concurrent care. So I saw both a traditional OB and my midwife for every scheduled visit, just in case I had to go to the hospital. I wanted to be prepared um, both ways. Um, And I, I was just shocked by how both disciplines really didn't address the mother's musculoskeletal system as part of the healthcare, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, even just basic recommendations on safe heart rate ranges um, weren't talked about. It was just very basic, you know, like, okay, you don't have gestational diabetes. The baby has a heartbeat. Good luck. Yeah. um, For someone who loves to move and knows the benefits of it for both mom and baby and entire family unit, um, I... I really, that's when I started diving into the the research of, okay, what can I do? What can't I do? What's advisable? When do I need to listen to my body over listening to these recommendations even? Um, and so I did a year long um, kind of self-study and I did the train for birth program on myself after gathering um, this year's long worth of research throughout my whole pregnancy. 
And then when I had my, my child a few months postpartum, I ended up doing a pilot study with 56 moms also with these movement guidelines and coaching them and, um, evaluating their neuromusculoskeletal system and their goals and their values and helping them through that. And when I got positive feedback in my own experience and felt much more confident going into birth, knowing what was safe and then being able to help other mothers with that, um, that's when I was like, all right, I think, I think I can couple the, my own experience and, uh, this knowledge that I've accumulated into, um, you know, making it something even more accessible for more people than just in my local area. Yeah. Super cool. I, I mean, mm-hmm. I think it's always really, uh, cool when we can experience it ourselves, you know, like I remember really trying not like not trying not to, but I come from a family of birth people like doctors, midwives, <laughs> labor and delivery nurses. And I was like, no, I'm, I'm staying far away. I'm going into exercise. Like leave same as you. You're like, I'm good. Orthopedics. I'm good. (laughs) And, but there's something about it when you're called to it, when you're meant to work in it, it is so cool. And you're right. When I was working, you know, I was doing my senior research in college on pregnancy and exercise. And that was back in, uh, gosh, now I'm dating myself. Like it was back in 2007, 2006, Mm -hmm. 2007. And the recommendations were so minimal. And, you know, as a PT, I'm sure you see like, okay, someone has knee surgery or a shoulder injury or whatever. And you have probably, I assume, right. Correct me if I'm wrong, a full protocol, like maybe there's prehab. If you're, you know, you're having surgery, there's this whole protocol and then postpartum is it's the same, right? Is that, would you, would you agree with me there yet for pregnancy? It's kind of like, just keep doing what you're doing. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. It's like the body is never changing more and yet there's less of a, um, kind of scientific approach to care when the body's changing so drastically. Um, so people are paying more more attention to it. So that's good. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I'm so glad. Like I, I think social media has really helped us with this mission, because yeah. I think there's more people out there whose voices are able to be heard saying like, no, you deserve better. No, this is, there's more to it than doing your Kegels. And yes, please just don't do that many cute, like not everyone's going to need all those Kegels. So, uh, okay. So that's super cool, but I want to even focus deeper into what we're our goal, our topic today, which is hypermobility. So, um, and, and this is going to impact people during pregnancy a lot. So tell me, first of all, what is hypermobility and how does someone know if they have hypermobility? Okay. Okay. So generalized joint hypermobility is a genetic condition, um, of different levels of collagen production within the body. And so, it's a spectrum. So some people can have very mild hypermobility and others can have, um, very significant hypermobility. And when it's, it's truly significant, um, there's a genetic test called, well, that, that would screen for Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. Mm -hmm. And there's six different types of Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, which very much have, uh, um, repercussions in pregnancy. Um, and then it's also important to note though, just because one person's shoulder might be hypermobile doesn't necessarily mean their pelvis is. Um, a lot of times 
when hypermobility is present, it can be kind of spotty from joint to joint. So, um, you know, that's just something to be aware of. And for birth workers, um, I think the, the current recommendations, honestly, are all women should be screened for hypermobility during pregnancy. Um, because, you know, your joint laxity increases by about 10% um, peaking within the second trimester anyway. And, and then if you're hypermobile on top of that, just think of all the strain that the ligaments then are having to do. Um, if your muscles are not helping your joints maintain the proper length tension relationship. Um, another way to think about hypermobility is if you take the shoulder joint, for example, and think about like putting on a shirt that's too tight and you can't move your, um, your arm very much in a very wide range, that would be like if, if you had a lot of collagen production in that joint and that would be more hypomobility or st joint stiffness. And then if you think of having a very loose sleeve shirt and your, your shoulder is able to move loosey goosey, you know, several different planes of motion, wide ranges and you feel kind of a clicking popping oftentimes, then that would be hypermobility. Right. And, and like, I like how you said, um, it's not always systemic. It's would be systemic, right. If you had a hypermobility syndrome, correct. Right. But if you have, uh, you know, you can have a hypermobile joint such as I have hypermobile elbows. And how I know is if I'm on hands and knees, or if I'm fully extending my arm, I can go past like, if you look at my elbow, I can go past straight. I don't know. I wish I could show everyone how, what I'm doing with my arm right now. Um, and you'll see it with people. I'll see it with people with their legs too, not as often, but you'll see like their knee, they can go like way past like neutral. Right. So, and so, so when your body is already having a change of center of gravity, and if you have those hypermobile, hyperextending knees, then you're shifts into an anterior tilt even more just naturally if you have hypermobile knees plus that added center of gravity shift anteriorly really really can affect the SI joint the round ligament um, the pelvic floor dynamics your ability to breathe yeah. so yeah. what should someone do like so if someone has let's say I oh, oh crap I have hypermobile knees what what should you do I've I've personally found that people with hypermobility are often unaware of it, or they're just unaware of where their body is in space. Yes. Sometimes a lot of proprioceptive training. Mm -hmm. um, and so a lot of times, you know, I'll show a person where neutral is for their joint, um, where they're not locking out their knee in a specific direction, but neutral. And a lot of times a neutral knee for a hypermobile person will feel like they're doing a squat. Um, yeah. It'll feel like it's bent bending a little bit. Right. right. Yeah. Um, and so re-educating that specific joint where neutral is. And then honestly, family member training of, the, of them helping call, call that family member out. If they're snapping their knees back when they're brushing their teeth, for example, mm -hmm. you know, keep it neutral. And then it's really about stability and strengthening the muscles around that joint so that it's not so taxing mentally and physically to keep it in neutral. Right. Stability is huge. I mean, stability is huge anyway, during pregnancy, when everything, as you said, is getting more loosey goosey for everyone, regardless of if they have like a hypermobility syndrome or not. So what does that look like? What does stability, what does it look like? What types of things would you introduce 
for someone to encourage greater stability to kind of help with that hypermobility? Yeah. Um, well, in general, for hypermobile people, I recommend doing um, longer holds and less reps on, mm-hmm. on exercises and more metric training. Um, one that helps train the, the joint space where it should be in neutral. And two, it encourages more of an endurance type, uh, reactivity from a neuromuscular standpoint, rather than just purely a strength one or a power one and goodness knows, um, pregnancy and sometimes giving birth can be an endurance event. Um, and so training your muscles to do like long holds while you're breathing is really great. So for example, if you are doing a squat, um, which squats are wonderful to do while pregnant, um, like going down to about 90 degrees, turning your toes out and then like gripping the, t- the ground with your toes, really activating all the way from like the root of our body and then holding that squat for anywhere from 30 seconds to a minute rather than doing, you know, 30 reps of, of just one second down and up would be more beneficial. Right. Because you're really helping your body to like have some endurance, like you said, over a longer period of time. So that is going to help stabilize those tissues. So tell me, um, what's the difference between hypermobility and just like, I'm just really flexible. Like if, if you're, if you're not like, like if I am worried about it, I'm like, man, I'm really bendy. I wonder if I have a hypermobility syndrome, what would be some things that would make you say, Oh, I think you should maybe get that checked out. Yeah. So the, the only way to know a thousand percent, if you have a true syndrome is a genetic test. However, there are two, um, questionnaires that are widely accepted. One is the Baton scale and it's, um, well, one, it's looking at, um, nine joints. And if four or more of those joints are hypermobile, then you're, you're considered hypermobile. So for example, you look at the knee hyperextension on both sides, you look at your ability for your thumb to reach back and touch your forearm on both sides. You look at your index fingers ability to go past 90 degrees of extension. So like bending backward, um, you look at are your elbows able to bend backward? Um, and then can you easily and without restriction touch past your toes? Um, mm. and we can be tricky to test while pregnant. Um, so that's when P- I, I pair that scale with the five point questionnaire and that one's strictly question-based. And so that one asks like, can you now, or have you ever been able to put your hands flat on the ground, um, when bending over, um, you know, have you ever been able to bend your elbow backward? Have you ever dislocated a joint? Um, did you ever amuse your friends with, with funny contortions when you were younger? And then do you consider yourself double jointed? And if people answer yes to majority of those questions, then I would really start thinking like, okay, yep. Hypermobility. Yeah. So there may be people listening that are like, Oh man, that, that could be me. So mm-hmm. who do they go see? Who's the first, like, would it be a physical therapist? Who's the go-to person? Yes. 
Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of pain involved, especially within the joints than a rheumatologist or a, a geneticist as well. But really, I think the first, the first stop would be a, a physical therapist. And honestly, the prevalence of hypermobile spectrum disorders is increasing um, within the pregnant population. It's, it's presumed that one in every 20 pregnancies, there's someone that's hypermobile. So it's really, really common. Um, just not something that's screened for at a, you know, and gosh, the, the effects even if, because we're talking about collagen, right. And there's collagen internally as well. So, you know, it can affect if someone is going to go into, or be more likely to have preterm labor, um, premature rupture of membranes. Um, you know, it can affect a post or antepartum like hemorrhage, uh, can have a higher likelihood of placenta previa, um, and you know, it can affect the way your scar tissue feels either. If you have an episiotomy, if you have a cesarean, um, it can make you a little more likely to have prolapse or a DVT and stress urinary incontinence. So, you know, if people are hypermobile, they're, they're about 50% of the, or hypermobile pregnant population, 50% of those have pelvic girdle issues. Mm-hmm. So So it can cause a lot of issues. So we, you know, one of the things that I, one of the reasons, I mean, there's many reasons I love body awareness and body alignment and teaching things like neutral pelvis is Mm -hmm. not because I think people should hold this one position all day. Like you're not like, okay, this is neutral. Now I'm just going to like be neutral and like stiffly be neutral throughout the day. But that body awareness is is really huge for everyone, but even more important for someone with hypermobility, because I found that like, like you and I both agree that there's not always a lot of awareness. It also called proprioception. There's not a lot of proprioception awareness for these folks, but a lot of people in general, we just don't have a lot of awareness of where our body is in space. And so just being aware, not as a, this is the only ideal position, but as a, okay, this is neutral. I want to work towards getting closer to this, or I want to just help give myself some tangible ways of being aware of where I am in space. It gives us some, some power or gives us a little bit more of ability to work within a safer range of motion. Yeah. 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 And, you know, one of the best things you can do for the pelvic floor is making sure that your ribs and your pelvis are fairly stacked up most of the day, um, because that diaphragm and pelvic floor work together so synchronously and, you know, any change in pressure when you're not stacked up creates increased tension on the pelvic floor. And so, you know, having a pelvic floor that's, that's working overworking is just as, um, can be just as frustrating as a pelvic floor that's underworking. And so, um, like literally just breathing correctly and stacking the ribs and the pelvis, um, can make a huge difference on preventing incontinence down the road. This episode is brought to you by the Body Ready Method, our game-changing, interactive, fully online course for perinatal and birth professionals who want to elevate the way they serve their clients. We teach you how to help your clients prepare their bodies for a more functional pregnancy and efficient birth. 
and teach you what to do when during birth through the lens of birth biomechanics. Gain confidence and new skills to support your clients. Sign up for the waitlist for our next cohort at bodyreadymethod.com. Right, right. And <laughs> or like even like diastasis recti, I've seen, yeah. you know, people are just more predisposed to these injuries with laxity and hypermobility. Um, but that doesn't mean that it has to be, they have to have all of this. There's tools. There are people you can see, and there's work that can be done. It, it can be frustrating, I'm sure, but, um, yeah, uh, I want, I have more questions on hypermobility. So I want to know, um, what you see or what you've heard about hypermobility and the birth itself. You know, we're speaking to a lot of doulas and birth pros. So if you're working with someone with a hypermobility syndrome, especially like, what do you see with regarding birth? Yeah, I think it's, it's really great to educate moms from the onset. So, you know, a birth worker might screen for hypermobility, the first or second visit, if it's a hypermobile mom say, okay, look, um, you know, you're presenting with some hypermobile symptoms. Let's go ahead and start stabilizing now because, um, you know, we are trying to prevent some pelvic girdle pain here. We're trying to present, prevent a longer hospital stay actually, um, women with hypermobility are actually a higher likelihood to stay up to seven days in the hospital. Um, Mm. you know, educating about scar tissue care, um, educating about, Hey, you know, your, if your doctor asks you, if you want an episiotomy, then maybe consider that you might not heal as well or as quickly. If if that's, Mm. um, have an extra eye out for a DVT, for example. Um, and if your, your coccyx might be extra loose. And so don't be surprised if you start to feel symptoms there and like, let's start working the hip, hip, um, rotators now to support the pelvic floor and support the, you know, there's so many ligaments around the sacrum. And if those are lax, um, then, and the, they're naturally expanding then. Okay. Let's add a little support. Like just you, as you would add a support pillow when you're sleeping, you want your muscles to provide that support, um, with the increased load and and shift. So we should screen everyone during pregnancy and discuss this. So like the birth, like I'm thinking also like, what do you see anything different with like length of first stage or pushing times? I'm just curious. I have my own thoughts. I just want to hear from you if you have any thoughts or if there's any research about this. Yep. It's actually been shown that pregnant hypermobile women have a longer latent phase of labor, and then it rapidly progresses into active labor. Um, So that can sometimes catch nurses, midwives, doulas off guard. Um, Mm because of that rapid shift, um, and unexpectedness. And so also just being aware that that might happen can go a long way. Um, it's very true. Yeah. Because if you, it's kind of like, um, there's another, a very different thing, but, um, I have on my intake form, have you ever had the leap procedure spelled L E E P because Mm -hmm. that's, it's a very, it's different, but people oftentimes who have had that procedure, it creates some scar tissue that often will also show up as a very, a, a long 
it takes a long time for their cervix to start dilating, but then all of a sudden it's like breaks up the scar tissue, bam, like very speedy and being aware of that can help us be patient sometimes too, you know, or do things in a very specific way. And, and I, I've seen that as well. So I've seen my hypermobility clients often will have very fast pushing stages. Um, but you know, people think, oh, yay, that's awesome. Yay. Like, doesn't, isn't that what we all want? But yes and no, right? Like it's good to have an efficient birth, efficient pushing stage. And, you know, ideally we're not pushing for hours and hours, like holding our breath and pushing, but when a baby just flies out in one contraction, that can also come with some issues as well, you know, um, increased tearing, you know, different other issues. And so the goal isn't always like as fast as possible. Right. (laughs) And I think sometimes we get in that mindset of like, Oh, you know, I'm a doula, like, cool. The pushing, pushing phase was fast. Great. Excellent. But you know, I say it's like, we want it to be efficient, but not (laughs) like that. So, um, do you have any suggestions? Like, any thoughts? Like I'm thinking if I'm working with someone who has hypermobility and I know maybe that can go really fast. Is there anything we could do prenatally to help with that support so that the, that birth isn't that second stage isn't so fast? Yeah. I think training the brain to go ahead and, and connect with full pelvic floor range of motion. So having people contract, relax, and then slowly bear down and simulate kind of that pelvic floor opening in a really gentle way can be a really nice, um, mental training for that pelvic floor to slowly open rather than it just have almost a reflexive opening with, Oh, there's pressure. Boom. Everything's going to expand. Yeah. Yeah. That Mm -hmm. makes sense. And, you know, during the birth itself, um, I attend births, um, I found it really helpful to, and honestly for everyone, not just those with hypermobility, I found it really helpful to encourage breathing. If, if it's coming, if baby's coming fast, it's, it's a little different than if baby's coming slow. And I always encourage because it's an intense sensation, right? So people are often, I just want to push as hard as I can and just get this baby out. Like, especially when you get that crown, that early crown or that ring of fire, that's intense. And people, especially if they're unmedicated, people just want to push really fast past that. Or if they're medicated, their providers just like, just push really hard, just push. And I found if we can coach people to really breathe and if they're hypermobile, almost like not push at all, just let your body do it. (laughs) Right. Help a little bit. I I remember even my, my fourth birth, um, just almost not resisting the pushing, but just not, you know, holding my breath and not really bearing down forcefully and just letting my uterus push my baby out was how I was able to protect my tissues. Right. Yep. That's great. Yeah. So it's, it's it's so interesting. So, um, do you want to talk relaxing? Do you have opinions on relaxing or is that like, you know, cause there's a, it's a little controversial. It is, it is. And I mean, I think it's a easy kind of catch phrase word for a lot of doctors to say, to dismiss, um, mm, yes. 
people's discomforts. Um, and so it kind of makes me mad sometimes um, when people are like, oh, yeah, you know, my doctor said I have it's got a lot of relaxing. Or it's just relaxing. And that, that's why my back hurts so badly. And it's like, well, we do know that that is a hormonal contributing factor right now. But like, let's also look at maybe how you're spending the day moving or not moving and look at your sleep position and like, you know, how, what you're drinking throughout the day that might also affect it. Yeah, so there's a lot, there's a lot more, I mean, relaxing, we know like relaxing is a hormone, like you said, and it helps soften things in preparation for birth. Yeah. However, we blame it for a lot of things. We don't, right. <laughs> and we don't give the solution. Yeah. It's, right. it's really easy to just dim- dismiss things. And we do that for everything. Like, Oh, you're peeing your pants when you sneeze while well, you're pregnant. So that's, that's normal. Oh, you're a mom now. Yeah. That's just kind of how it goes. But right. no, there's so much you can do whether you're yeah. hypermobile or not, like find the resources they're out there. You don't have to suffer. Right. Right. And I will say uh, people who experience joint laxity uh, have been shown to continue having low back pain two years postpartum, um, which is a long time. It's a long time. Yeah. Um, that's a, that's the, a byproduct of just being conditioned into thinking that discomfort is normal. Um, when really so much, so much that could be done. Yeah, um, definitely. Is there any, I just thought of a really, a question that popped in my head. And I want to know the answer to, do you find that there are any exercises that you do with pregnant folks that you would have someone who is hypermobile be really extra careful about, you know what I mean? Like, like, yeah. Ooh, I want you to avoid this type of move. Yeah. So doing anything in single leg stance, um, can be extra tricky for moms that are hypermobile. Um, also it's more, it's honestly more about the speed at which movements Mm, are good. Good answer. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Yeah. Like I think anybody can do anything, but it's really just how focused you are in doing it. And like I said before, hypermobile people just need to hold things a little bit longer. So for example, when you're doing a bridge, which is a really nice to massage the kidneys to get that segmental spinal control of the multifidus muscles in the back, as well as some glute activation, um, definitely don't recommend popping up and down into bridge all the time. Like I really like doing a really slow lift, holding for 30 seconds to a minute, and then a slow lower. Mm. Yeah. So just a lot more awareness. You know, I have found that a lot of people, especially if they're trying to prepare for their birth, they want to do a lot of what is often called deep hip openers. And of course we know you can open the hips in many ways than just you know, knee out, ankle in, but I'm talking like deep external rotation. So thinking like the figure four stretch, for example, or like half pigeon pose, if people can Google it, if they want to see what that is like deep hip openers. And they, I think sometimes we think like, I got to stretch my hips to make my baby come out. Have you noticed, at least I notice that when people are overly trying to overly stretch, maybe they don't even realize they're already pretty mobile, hypermobile. I found that that also increases pain because it's like, I'm already really stretchy. 
And now I'm like adding even more. Right. Yeah. That's a really, really, really great point. And I'm glad you brought that up because I think, you know, having a proper length tension relationship. So the right balance between and what is strengthened is super important. And the tendency can be, like you said, to I'm hurting. I'm going to go stretch. There's never the mindset of like, or it's rare that someone's like, oh, I'm hurting. I better go stabilize. (laughs) Soon that will be the new case, right? We're we're paving the way. (laughs) And, you know, sometimes you might need to do one or sometimes you might need to do the other. It's not always a go-to. And I always, I, I find a lot of the time that in my hypermobile patients, um, whether pregnant or not, they're so surprised when I, um, say you, you're hypermobile because a lot of times hypermobile people will feel tightness, um, or describe things as being very tight. And the reason is the muscles are overworking, um, if the ligaments are not doing their job, right? So if you're, but if you're only stretching those overly tight muscles and not strengthening the diagonal to that muscle, for example, or the, the primary stability muscle around that joint, then stretching is actually just going to irritate the nerve endings in that joint capsule even yeah. more. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's, it's all about the stability really. And including during pregnancy, you know, mobility is great, but you can do, you, you can't, like, I think that's the difference between mobility and flexibility, right? Right. Because flexibility is just how far can I passively like flop into this, Mm -hmm. right? Like thinking just like, I don't have any strength in this great range of motion, but I can just flop into it. Whereas mobility is I can control all of my ranges of motion. And so that's where I like to really focus on both mobility and stability so that we can see like a fully functioning system, not just one that can, you know, flop open. Cause I, I don't know if you've seen, found this, but I have not seen that my super, super flexible yogi clients don't necessarily have easier births just because they're flexible. Right. I a thousand percent agree with that. Sometimes I would say it's actually opposite. Yeah, (laughs) it is. Yeah. They often have very tight, unyielding pelvic floors, right? hopefully this does, isn't like scaring people like, Oh crap. Like, I don't know what to do because we're talking like at this high level, but you don't have to know like what muscle to stretch and what muscle to strengthen. Like you can, there's, there's, there's tons of free resources out there. You know, Monique and I are both on Instagram and, uh, we're both, you know, there's, there's programs, thankfully, like we both have programs and there's, I think you just have to find, you know, a physical therapist, an exercise pro, you have to find your team really. Right. And to that, I would say, you know, the, the thought of adding something else to an already overwhelming sometimes process of, of being pregnant, it can be yeah. overwhelming, exciting so year, um, you know, figuring out work, life, family dynamic, like everything is changing. And then to think of like, oh my gosh, I got to add in physical therapy appointments, like right. no way. Um, but seriously, just one PT visit prenatally, one postpartum, like an hour of your time can really make lifelong differences. I mean, the number one reason why women get put in nursing homes is because of incontinence. And 
you know, it's just assumed that that's part of the gravity and birthing process, but that does not have to be the case. And if you think about the psychosocial impacts of your entire family unit of putting a yourself in a nursing home for that reason, the, the economic drain on that, the time drain, the, um, you know, quality of life with that. And it's something that could be changed or at least modified or delayed, um, from two hours, you know, of, of coaching and like body awareness education can just be so beneficial. And, um, it, I always encourage like, Hey, you only have one hour at night with your partner be- between work and life, like bring them along, you know? Um, and I think, I think there is an ever expanding, um, amount of resources virtually too, for people, which is great because then you can squeeze it in even better, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Thankfully, <laughs> I think, I think COVID pushed us even more into this virtual space and, you know, there's pros and cons, but I think providing access to more and more folks to really good prenatal prehab is key because I think preventing something is always going to be easier than fixing it once you have it. Not to say that we can't rehab and we should rehab and we, there is hope. But if people are hearing this prior to, you know, I think a lot of times we wait until something's an issue to take care of it. And I get it. Like you yeah. said, we're, we're so busy. Like mm-hmm. life, life is bananas. You know, I have four kids. I get it. But prehab, if you can just spend a little bit of time, you know, you're already like exercising, just make that exercise or maybe you're not, but it's really good for you and your baby and your body. You know, I think pregnancy is the time where people are because, you know, we don't want to do something when it's just for us for some reason, even though we should, but when there's a baby on board, you go like, well, it's for the baby. (laughs) Like I joke, I said, with a different podcast guest. I was like, it's like the only time I got a professional massage for years because it's just not in the budget, but it was for the baby. Right. Right. (laughs) And so I think the same thing with, with pregnancy, it's a time where people are investing in themselves or should be investing in some way. I'm not talking financially, but yes, it is a big financial drain, but, um, I'm talking about just like taking care of themselves or being aware of what they're eating and what they're, how they're moving. And I think it can be a really nice catalyst for change, right? It can help us to stay out of the nursing home sooner, maybe, and keep our pelvic floor functioning better for life. This isn't just about this one pregnancy and birth. It's about your function for life. Yeah. I always like to say pregnancy is the perfect time for self-care. It's so true. It, It really is. Um, it's really worth it. And it's not selfish. Self-care is never selfish, mm-hmm. but I don't know. Our society just doesn't, doesn't focus on it enough. Yeah. I think it's Glennon Doyle that says, uh, women should be more self-full and don't think of it as being selfish, but self-full. Mm, that's so good. I love that. I'm going to, I'm going to like take that one in and because I've been really working on it too, you know, running a, all of us, we all should take some time. You know, if you're a doula or a midwife or a fitness pro listening to this, like what, when's the last time you did something for you? Because we can't, we can't be sustainable in our lives, in our own work. If we aren't taking care of our own self. Right. right? Yeah. Like metaphorically, if we're hypermobile in our life. <laughs> Oh, that's so good. I didn't, I got to think of hypermobility would be a good 
it's like a, a good lesson in, you can like parallel it to so many things. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> so good. So, so Monica, this is super fun. So tell me where can people find you? Where are you hanging out online these days? And we'll make sure we get all of this in the show notes. So people can just click in and find you. Okay. Okay. The best way is on my website, um, which is www.trainforbirth.com. And I'm on Instagram and I have a Facebook page as well. My email address is on there. I love answering questions. I have a little Calendly link where people can do free Q and A's with me. Sweet. So, and it's train for the number four, right? Yes. Okay. Um, Just wanted to throw that out there. So people aren't like, wait, it's not coming up. Yeah. And the, the reason for the number is because there are four deep core muscles, the pelvic floor, the transverse abdominis, the multifidus and uh, the diaphragm. So oh, I love that. I didn't know that. I thought it was yeah. cute anyway, but that makes it even, even better. Love it. Well, thank you, Monica. And thank you everyone listening. We will talk to you again soon. Thank you. Thank you for listening to pros talk pregnancy. We are passionate about making the childbearing years better. And as professionals, when we work together, that is when we see the greatest shifts. Is there a topic that you would like for us to dig into with an amazing birth pro that you know? Or do you have a question around pregnancy, birth, or recovery that no one has quite yet been able to answer? We wanna bring you the topics that you want to know about. So please submit a question, topic, or guest suggestion for the chance for it to become our next podcast episode at www.bodyreadymethod.com slash podcast dash submit. See you next time.